What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 128. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. But what I've discovered is the only thing people really care about when they're not involved in this way of eating normally is does it taste good? So if we can focus on, you know, this tastes great, this feels great. And if we can just put, you know, those two ideas together and let people know that they probably don't even realize how good they could feel. Welcome, welcome, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio for another fantastic episode. Today I have Timmery Hagenberger who is a dietitian and she is a professor. She calls herself the nutrition professor and she is so full of knowledge and wisdom and helpful tips and tidbits. I know you're going to love this episode, but before I tell you more about Tim Marie, did you know that I have a bunch of freebies available on my website. You can access them all at the same place, dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free. There's all kinds of goodies there. How to replace meat, how to replace dairy, eating out, supplements, all kinds of stuff. So please take a moment, check it out. See if there's something that might be helpful. Download one, download them all. Again, that's at dryami.com forward slash free. Also, thank you all of you who've been reaching out, telling me about how much you love my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. I recently 
reread my book as I was looking for some good quotes so that we can make some graphics. And guys, it's a really good book. There's a lot of great stuff in there. I know it sounds weird because I wrote the book, but sometimes you kind of forget what you wrote. Like I know generally what's in there. And then I go back and I reread it and I'm like, you know, my intention when I wrote this book was to comfort parents, to ease anxiety, to decrease stress, and to help them feel empowered, to remind them that they're doing a great job, that they can do this, and that there's an easier way to approach it than what they've been doing it. And I know that I was able to accomplish that goal. So I'd love to know what you think. If you read my book, reach out, let me know how it's impacted you, what it's taught you, what things you've changed in how you feed your children, how you feed your family, how you feed yourself. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available on all major online booksellers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of those. It is in paperback, in ebook and audiobook, which I narrated myself. So please take a moment and check it out. Just a reminder that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult their doctor. Timmerie Hagenberger is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in public health. She is a full-time nutrition professor at Kasumnis River College and is a professional speaker working in corporate wellness and at local events, while is also certified in exercise physiology through the American College of Sports Medicine. She is thrilled about the plant-based nutrition and sustainable agriculture certificate program at Kasumnis River College and her Thrive on Plants Club that has been going strong since 2014. She writes a monthly column for the Lodi News Sentinel, manages her resource-rich website, thenutritionprofessor.com, has regular segments on California Bountiful TV and Studio 40 TV, has contributed to several cookbooks, published her own cookbook, The Foodie Bar Way, One Meal, Lots of Options, Everybody's Happy, available at www.foodiebars.com, is the dietitian for the Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group, and recorded the first season of her podcast, which is called Office Hours with the Nutrition Professor. So Timory is so energetic, so wise, so positive. You're just going to love her energy. In this episode, we talked about her plant-based journey, what caused her to pursue a plant-based diet, after having done it the traditional standard American way for so long, what she means by loving the food that loves you back. We talked about the importance of mindset when we eat, mindset when we cook and prepare food, how to make food prep fun, what she thinks is the most important kitchen tool. And we talk about her kids, their transition. We talk about her book and a lot of the things that she wishes that people knew and the importance of connection. It is really a fantastic episode. I know you're gonna love it and you're going to be able to pull out some really important nuggets that you can apply to your own life. So thank you so much for being with me today and for listening to this interview. 
And now on to the show. All right, Miss Timory Hagenberger, thank you so much for joining me today on Veggie Doctor Radio. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited. This is um, actually a little dream come true. My students had found you a couple of years ago as a one of our plant-based rock stars. And then I started listening to your podcast and was very, very impressed. So this is fantastic. Well, I'm very flattered and I've always wanted to be a rock star. So my dream has come true. <laughs> so you are. You, you reached <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and get started with your plant-based journey. Tell me all about it. So I have grown up in the kitchen. I grew up with an Italian family and my grandparents and my parents loved cooking. And my Nona showed love with food. I mean, it was, that's what she did. That's where she showed her love and pride and we just didn't realize, though, that the food that we were serving each other was not food that loved us back. And we had all the run-of-the-mill, high blood pressure, little overweight, high cholesterol, um, but nothing that was strikingly you know, plagued. But then we realized that all those little things that we were told were genetic were actually re the result of lifestyle choices. So... We, my dad was following in my grandmother's footsteps with the high cholesterol and the high um, blood pressure. And the doctors basically just told him, look at your mom. I mean, she's a little tiny, 410. She's not overweight, but her cholesterol is well over 300. Her blood pressure is, you know, through the roof. So just get used to taking medication. And I was actually, my mom was a dietitian. So I grew up with that kind of awareness of let's bake food instead of fry, you know, let's use a lot of fruits and vegetables, but it wasn't the full complement that I understand now. So when I moved into dietetics, which was something that I started, um, my interest obviously was long lived. Um, I was the one little kid in the, in the, um, continuing education sessions with my mom that was taking notes, you know, always trying to learn, learn, learn. And whenever I did a presentation in school, it was always about nutrition or health, but I didn't really think of it as a career um, until I actually, I was thinking about going into being a physician, uh, interestingly enough. And I thought about it and I said, you know, I want a family and I don't want to be a doctor. Like I felt like being a doctor was your whole life. Like you couldn't do anything else. I said, I want to have, you know, a career where I can have a family. And it's so funny because now as a dietitian and nutrition professor, I am the nutrition professor. When we were looking at, you know, what should the name be? It, my husband said, that's what you do everywhere you go. Whether you're on the soccer field, whether you're at the grocery store, whether you're at school, you live it. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's come all the way around. I'm not a physician, but I am what I do, but in such a way that I can impact not only my own family, but everybody else. So that is on the way to this plant-based journey. So I've always been nutrition focused, but again, I hadn't even understood 
the benefits of plant-based. Didn't even, I don't even know that I grew up in Northern California. I don't think I knew a vegetarian. I mean, it was just, it wasn't even part of my wheelhouse. And then in 2011, I went to a class at a local church that was a plant-based class. And the person was in it because she was vegan for the animals. And she had actually said, I don't even like vegetables, but I love animals so much that I don't eat them. And I thought, well, that's, I love vegetables, but I didn't understand this whole, you know, other piece. So I started doing more reading and this is in early 2011. And you transitioned as well. I read in your book in 2011, but once I lifted the veil I thought, oh my gosh, I went through undergrad in nutrition, master's in public health. No, this never came across my path. And once I figured this out, I thought, oh my gosh, this is the missing step. This is why I didn't go into private practice when I was earlier in my career as a dietitian, because I didn't feel like I could really help people. Because I don't know how you have felt but with me, when I was working with patients in the hospital and in clinics, you'd work so hard and they'd make one step forward and then three steps back. And what, and I was thinking, what, you know, I'm teaching these diabetic patients how to carb count, but nobody's getting any healthier. And so when I found the plant-based whole food, I thought, oh my gosh, where has this been all my life? And I felt like I could really make a an impact in people's lives. In that movie, um, Eating You Alive, there's a scene in the very end of an emergency room physician. And she says, for 20 years, I have been doing this. And now I can finally look in my patient's eyes and say, I can heal you. And that makes me cry every time I think about it, because that's how I feel like it's all been right here in front of us. We just haven't taken the opportunity. So once I made that transition in 2011, I have not looked back. And I had a really um, interesting conversation, you know, with my husband that summer saying, I don't know how I'm going to teach my classes in the fall now, because I can't teach what I used to teach. I've always been behind my recommendations. So I would always say, you know, lean meats. And we all, we had switched to ground turkey, of course, and even grew up with that nonfat milk. I grew up with that cow milk. Um, and I said, I can't go back and say that. I mean, there's just no way I can't do it. I have to give them all the information. So he said, no, I mean, you have to do what you have to do. So thankfully, my faculty at school support us in what we're doing. Um, but it it's really, it has monumentally changed everything about my whole life. It really has. Wow, that's incredible. And yeah, I agree. It's one of those things that's so simple, yet so radical at the same time, you know? And I agree that earlier in my career too, you get to the point where you kind of feel hopeless and you're like, I know that I tell people something and they're not going to be able to follow this or not going to be able to do this. And what's the answer? So discovering plant-based nutrition really feels like it's something that's always been there, yet we weren't able to see it. You know, it's just like so it hard is. to explain, but I know that you understand me and we can understand each other. Tell me about your family's transition. So once you went to this lecture and you're like, okay, and you started researching, 
how, how did you go as far as your diet? What were the next steps? And then for your family and who was home at the time? Like, what was your life like at the time in 2011? So at that point, my kids were five and eight. So that was, um, an interesting time because they definitely had their favorites. They, you know, they were not tiny, tiny. So it was a discussion with my husband and he's, he trusts me implicitly, but he isn't on board for himself until he makes that decision. So, you know, he's going to go with whatever I think is best, but he's not going to be all in until he, you know, makes that decision. So he was home with the kids. We had kind of the flipped um, schedule. So he was home and I was um, at work and in between. And so at that point, what they loved more than anything was cheese. <laughs> I mean that, you know, the little uh, tagline of never enough cheese, right? That was it for them. And so I figured out, I knew how to cook. I loved cooking. I mean, that was something that I always did. So I thought, I just have to make this tasty. You know, I can't advertise this as this is healthy. This is healthy because they're not going to buy it. I'm the dietitian. I'll eat whatever it takes to be healthy, but they're not going to. So that's when I really dug into how can I take something that they love and make it a healthier version and, you know, try to really infuse those ingredients that I want them to enjoy. And I knew that I needed to involve them. And my son was eight. So he was more of a challenge, let, you know, than the five-year-old. And so the eight-year-old, I involved him in the kitchen. He is my spice guy, even from younger you know, ages, he would always like things spicy or, you know, very flavorful. So I, of course, have lots of different spices and I love doing, having all the options. And so he, I would say, you know, this is missing something. What is it missing? And I'd have him taste it. And then he said, let me see. And he'd open up the spice cabinet and put all kinds of things in there. And it was so cute because often it wouldn't come out that great, right? Like if you're, you know, objectively looking at this, but he would taste it. Oh yeah, this is good. And then I'd say, well, would you like more? No, because he didn't like it. But it was that idea that I was giving him confidence, you know, like building up his confidence to be able to play with those different ideas and just the idea of choice. And that piece turned into what in 2015 became my book because the idea of giving people choices changes everything. But then from a dietitian's perspective and a nutrition professor and a mom that wants their kids as healthy as possible, what can I do to influence positively the choices? So that's where when I put out all the options, then I can relax because I have said, okay, these are the best options that we have available. Then they can choose and have that autonomy so that was a big piece of it. We really did this idea of the foodie bar way, which is, you know, what turned into my book, but where it's one meal, lots of options, and everyone's happy. And it was kind of crazy because it was a little foreshadowing. We've been married for 20 years and well before we obviously went plant-based, but at our wedding, I did not want that standard cold chicken breast dry on the plate for, you know, the, my family. And so I said, I want a pasta bar. 
I want people to be able to choose the pasta, choose the sauce, and choose all the mix-ins. Almost like, do you remember the old Marie Callender buffets, the omelet buffets, where you would choose what you wanted in them? And so that's what we did for our wedding. And so people could step up and say, well, I want artichokes and onions and olives, and then I want penne pasta and pesto. And voila, they would put it together. And I thought, Everybody said this was the best food they'd ever had at a wedding. And that concept then re, you know, reappeared later in our life when we went plant-based because then all of a sudden we could open up the options. And if my daughter didn't feel like olives, eating olives that day, not a problem. We didn't make a big pot that everybody had to pick out the olives or what have you. We just gave everybody choices. So the cheese was one of the big changes. And so I came up with a cheesy sauce that I make, um, you know, and it has the bell peppers and nutritional yeast and all those things in it. And still we have two containers of it right in the fridge, you know, I'm thinking, what do they love to eat? Pasta. How can I make a pesto without oil? And, you know, just those types of things, pizza, how can we do pizza? And so a friend of mine, um, when I was trying to figure out what should I what can I put in this cookbook? Because my, I have a student and that actually started this whole thing. She's so cute. She said, you have to write the book. She's from Puerto Rico. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, okay, I go to your website. I print out all the recipes. I make all this food. I invite my friends over and they say, can I have the recipes? So I give them. Then I print all the recipes again, have more friends over and they take the recipes. I've done this three times enough. Can you just write the book? And so I said, okay, I will write this book. And so when we were talking about it, my friend that I exercised with said, you have to do, I want to see what you do every day. She said, I'm really impressed that you guys made this change and you have not slipped back. So what are you doing every day? I don't want to hear on Thanksgiving. I don't want to hear the special day. I want it like day in and day out. How are you making this work? Because I know too many people that go on these little diet jags and then fall right back and then go, you know, searching for something else. And so that's why I put the recipes together in the book that I did, because that's what I live with. I mean, it sits on my counter and it gets used every single week because it's just what we it's just what we thrive on. So the kids started to realize we were making these choices and a pivotal moment, actually, there was two pivotal moments in my family's transition. One was we were at a party, like a birthday party or something. And this was early in the transition. And my husband and I really wanted to get this down. I wanted to get it down very comfortably before I started to ask anyone else in my family to make choices that were different. And so we were at a party and I was done with all the animal products, but they had some cupcakes. And so my daughter said, daddy, do you want a cupcake to my husband? And he said, no, I can't have one of those. And she was five and she looked at him and she said, no, daddy, you choose not to have one. And so he was like, uh, oh, yeah, I guess so. And so that idea of choice really, you know, came back to, you know, their consciousness. And then the other point that's so pivotal, 
pivotal for him was he was watching Dr. Clapper. I had put on, he'd seen all the movies and all of that early on, you know, the forks over knives, et cetera. And he saw this one segment of Dr. Clapper's talk. It's an old talk. And he was discussing how blood, the, the lipemia that happens after the meal. And he showed the test tube and he said, yeah, you know, it takes five to 10 hours for your liver to pull the fat out of your blood from your meals. And he looked at me and he said, is that really happening to me? And they had just been to an in and out, you know, trip the day before. And I said, yeah, babe, that's just the liver. I mean, that's just your physiology. It's not personal. It's just what happens. And he looked at me and he said, I'm done. And from that moment, he's never had another animal product. So, you know, it was, it's just different for everybody. If you ask my kids, they, they feel like they don't need to hurt animals in order to live. You know, I mean, that's something that they identify with even more than the health piece. I think it's hard sometimes with kids to really not feel invincible, you know, unless they have a chronic condition or asthma or something where they can see the marked difference. Most of and my kids and most of my students feel like they're invincible. They can eat anything and it really won't impact them. They don't feel that way. Um, so for them, it was just the environment, making sure that when they open the fridge, there's options. And um, just that mindset always of, I'm always sharing information with them. Maybe sometimes, you know, they're like, mom, what else are you learning? But it's something that I find so much joy in. So, and the example, I don't ever say, oh, I need to eat vegetables. I get so excited about my food. And they see that, you know, they see how much love I put into what we eat and how we really can do anything in our lives once we take care of our bodies. I love that story. And one part that I especially love is how you figured out a technique that not only was health promoting, but also supported intuitive eating. So like you said earlier, doing this foodie bar technique, the foodie bar way, you were able to put the food out, step back, relax, and not worry. You weren't micromanaging your child being, are you sure you don't want to put broccoli on that? Are you sure you don't want to put some cilantro on that? You know, and so I think that this actually also supports children because it does give them that ability to express their independence and learn lessons of what they like, what they don't like, how food makes them feel. And I agree. I think that whenever we talk to kids about like heart disease and you know, strokes and diabetes are like, huh? You know, like that's not something that is affecting most children, at least they don't know of. But one thing that I have found, because I do teach kids classes, you know, kids nutrition classes, is that they are interested in the concept of health and well-being. I think they do, like whenever you talk to them about like being active and playing and having energy to play, I think kids do identify with that. So that's why I like to kind of change the the terminology and the wording that we use a little bit to well-being and just feeling good because kids know that when they feel good, they can play and play is like their number one activity that they want to continue doing. Hopefully they think forever, but then we become adults and we forget how to play. 
And then we just sit in front of our computers all day long. But that's another conversation (laughs) altogether. (laughs) But that's, it's interesting. It makes me think about my college students. So they, you know, it used to be that the health issues in their family was ex- were experienced by their grandparents. I mean, that was the, you know, because I've been teach dietitian for 20 years and teaching at the college level that long, and that's what they worried about. So now it's their parents, no question. I mean, they're coming to me saying, we were in the emergency room last night, you know, with a hypertensive episode, but my mom's really old. She's 41. You know, and it's like, uh, no, 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 you guys, this is not old. And the no, this is not good. You know, so they're seeing that, or I don't know about you, but I'm seeing in the early twenties, diverticulosis and diverticulitis in the early twenties. I mean, this is some, this is, and I, we just talked about it last week when we were talking about the GI tract. This is a disease of low fiber intake supposed to be for a lifetime. This is something seven, you know, 60s, 70s or beyond. And we're seeing it so young, but we're also seeing a generation that is growing up on, and I do their diet studies, Pop-Tarts and Top Ramen, you know, and that's, you know, what they're, so the fiber is just not there. But that's something that I really learned a lot about the idea, and it really changed my view of how I teach nutrition, that switch from health to feeling good, like you had mentioned. It is, it's something I want to come back to because I think, you know, what I used to do when I did a cooking demo is I would give all the reasons, and this is good for your eyes, and this is good for this, and this, and this, and this. And people just like, the actually the research shows the more reasons, the more diluted they become, your motivation. There's an excellent book called No Sweat. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but I've incorporated it into one of my classes, but it's Michelle Seeger. And it's about the motivation for exercise. And she has cited several studies in there, but one of them is the more wise you have, the more diluted your motivation is, which seems counterintuitive. But what I've discovered is the only thing people really care about when they're not involved in this way of eating normally is, does it taste good? So if we can focus on, you know, this tastes great, this feels great. And if we can just put, you know, those two ideas together and let people know that they probably don't even realize how good they could feel, that that is going to take us so far because, and I remember when we were talking with the kids were little, it was like, well, you guys know what it feels like to have a tummy ache. That's not fun. You know what it feels like to get sick and just feel like you have to lay on the couch because you have no energy. And that's not fun. So when we can say there's a link between what we're eating and how we're feeling, and these are power foods to give us energy. We used to talk about energy balls, like in your body, like this is giving us little energy coins or energy balls. And when we eat this food, we have the energy to do whatever we want to do in our lives. And I think we, as you said, as we get older and become adults, you know, and then we are adulting instead of, you know, living and playing, then I think we can forget that we have choices. And that those choices really can, we feel like everything turns into a have to instead of a get to. 
But we get to make choices that can positively impact not only how we feel physically, but I talk to my students about mental. When they eat certain foods, fast food has been shown to cause depression on a neurological level, neuroinflammation. So it's not just these choices are not just, oh, yeah, I'll get a little indigestion and yeah, that'll be, oh, it's okay till my next meal. No, these monumentally impact how you're going to face your day and what you're going to do, no matter what age you are. And we can all identify with feeling great and not feeling great. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that message and I love all those points. And the word that comes to mind is empowerment, because I think that there's not enough people especially adults. I think for kids, it might be a little simpler. They may be able to make those connections actually faster than we do, because I think when we become adults, life is just so complicated and there's so many factors. And I think we want to believe sometimes that our food doesn't impact us as much as it does. But like you were saying, we can flip it around and look at the positive and feel empowered that when we're feeling fatigued, when we're feeling depressed or anxious, that we can look at our food and be like, where, where is this possibly contributing to how I'm feeling mentally, physically, emotionally? In your book, you talk about loving the food that loves you back. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? And now a word from our sponsor. Thank you so much to Forager Project for generously sponsoring this episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. California crafted since 2013, Forager Project is an organic, plant-based, family-owned and operated food company creating innovative, delicious tasting products sourced from nature's finest ingredients, nuts, seeds, ancient grains, fruits, and vegetables. Forager Project has its own unique purpose-built creamery, the only 100% organic plant-based facility of its kind. Their family of foods include totally organic and 100% vegan yogurts, nut milks, sour cream, kefirs, shakes, and butter. But what's even cooler is that Forager Project is committed to help cultivate democracy. So, During this past month, the Forager Project has shifted the packaging on its yogurts, kefirs, and milks to encourage consumers nationwide to get involved and vote this November in their vote campaign. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food, but they are equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. They want you to get out there and vote and participate in our democracy. If you want more information, more voting resources, check out foragerproject.com forward slash vote or check them out on socials at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. So that's my you know, tagline. I mean, that is the idea is because we know that when you enjoy the food you eat, you actually absorb more nutrients. So there have been studies 
long term, you know, long time ago studies where they there was actually one that I always talk about in class about Thai women and Swedish women. And they gave them a spicy kind of curry with rice and vegetable meal, both of them. And the Thai women loved it. It's their food. They enjoyed every bite. And the Swedish women ate it because it was the research study, but they did not, they thought it was spicy. That just, it didn't agree with them. And they looked and saw that iron absorption was significantly different between the two groups. And then they took it a step further and they took that, their favorite meals and they put them in the blender. So for anybody who's ever watched that crazy show Fear Factor where they make you eat just nasty things. That's kind of what happened is they asked the, well, the Thai women, they put that same meal in a blender and had them eat it as a paste. And then the Swedish women, they said a hamburger, green beans, and um, some mashed potatoes, put that in the blender and then made them eat it as a paste. And they found iron absorption fell by 70% compared to eating it in its normal, you know, version. And we know that iron is basically indestructible. It, the blender did nothing to it. So what it is, is your body responding to that situation with less enzymes to help break down those foods to facilitate absorption. And that idea is so key because if you can enlighten yourself and there are so many resources now about the foods that are really health promoting. I spend a lot of time speaking about the G-bombs, you know, Dr. Furman, and I know you referred to him in your book as well. The greens, the um, beans, the berries, the onions, the garlic, the mushrooms, the nuts and seeds, and making those foods in such a way that you enjoy them. And that's one thing that I always love to talk about with my students, because whenever we start talking about a vegetable, someone in class goes, ew, gross. Now, this is college, mind you, but still, all right, I hear snickers. And whenever I do, I say, oh, one moment, one moment, let's, let's take this opportunity. Whenever you hear about a food that you want to have kind of a negative reaction to, I want you to say, hmm, that sounds interesting. I don't believe I've had that prepared in a way I've enjoyed it yet. And they all laugh and I go, no, 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 let's practice again. And we say it all together again. I said, because there are some amazing foods out there that you had no idea that you loved because you didn't give them a chance. So if you have someone like, Cauliflower is a great example. Cauliflower is all the rage now, right? So everybody's ricing it. We're using it in place of potatoes. We're all in pizza crust. It's all over the place. But there are many people who grew up with overcooked, mushy, nasty cauliflower, right? And so I will mention that vegetable sometimes and people, oh, oh. And I'll say, have you ever had it roasted? roasted. I didn't even know you could roast cauliflower. Oh yeah. See, hold your judgment because the way you prepare a vegetable or anything can dramatically impact your experience with it. If you overcook asparagus until it's stringy and nasty, no, do not serve it to anyone. Make 
creamy asparagus soup, okay? Please blend it. Do not torture anybody with overcooked nasty vegetables, okay? Don't do that. But I think that's something that people just don't realize. They think they made a decision about something and that's it. And they just feel like that's, I, that, that's, I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, so, and I have another, and that, and that applies uh, to kids as well. I mean, this is the same concept in kids is that I think parents give up way too soon. You know, a child may have tasted something prepared one way once and the parent will tell me, yeah, they don't like it. Well, how many times have tasted it? Oh, just once. That's not enough to acquire a taste for something, but whatever you're talking about a food that you didn't used to like because it was prepared a certain way first thing I think about is Brussels sprouts. Because yes. I remember as a kid having like the boiled overcooked Brussels sprouts and it just tasted horrible. But now sometimes when I eat Brussels sprouts, I almost think I'm cheating or it's some kind of a simple food because I make it in the air fryer and put some good vinegar in there. And, you know, sometimes even just like a little bit of touch of maple syrup and get it nice and crispy. And it's like candy. It is amazing. It's so good, but it's like such a far cry from when I was a kid and have the boiled Brussels sprouts, which I think a lot of kids in my generation had. So now they're just like, I'm never going to taste Brussels sprouts again, you know? Oh, it's crazy that I, my mom, actually, I made Brussels sprouts. I was making them. And my mom said, Oh honey, I, I can't do it. And I said, what do you mean? She said, your grandma just used to make me eat these. I, I that's why we never had them when you were growing up because I, I can't even get myself. I said, ma, trust me, let me have you taste these. And she tasted them. She's like, I've been missing out on this for all those years. Oh my goodness. So, and if you love Brussels, you have to find, I have a specific recipe that I did on California Bountiful TV on my website. And the Brussels are with citrus and pomegranate molasses and pistachios. They are dessert. They, I mean, they're not a dessert, obviously, but they are so good that I save them until no one else, like I've eaten everything else and I just savor, like, don't talk to me. These are my Brussels. And it's so crazy, but I never would have imagined that that would be, you know, one of those foods that people like, oh no, not Brussels sprouts. It's like, oh, they're just a, they're a delight, but it's completely based on how we prepare them and what you're expecting. When you, when I say vegetables in my class, my students, many of them cringe like, oh, because they think of their specific experience with canned spinach or, you know, just some, just not even what it could be. But when I think of vegetables, I think, oh my gosh, these are just fantastic. So when you're expecting something, your brain prepares you for that. So I think we do need to just bring the curiosity back in and to think, how could we enjoy these foods? What could we do instead of, I don't like this. And with the kids, I think one of the mistakes, I'd read this in a book and it really changed my view that what do we think about the idea of just take one bite and if you don't like it, you don't need to eat it. I think that's a natural thing that we learn and I think it's wrong. Because then the only option for the kid is, I don't like it, so I don't have to eat it. 
what if they don't feel like eating? What if they're not hungry? What if their stomach hurts? What if it has nothing to do with the food? When we do it that way, when we say you must have this or, you know, let me know if you hate it, then I won't serve it to you anymore. But I think instead, if we say, try this and tell it, describe what it feels like, what it tastes like and help them with the vocabulary. So is it mushy? Is it um, peppery? Is, does it make your tongue um, tickle? You know, what is it too hard? You know, what it describe this it, because then we can work with it. I have a lot of students who are texture sensitive. So, you know, they may enjoy carrots raw, but cooked, they're really put off by it. So, but if they just say, oh, I hate carrots, then that doesn't, you know, that doesn't help them. But if they can say, oh, well, you know, if I like lightly, you know, if I really like raw carrots, but I don't like overcooked carrots, like in a soup, maybe I'd like a stir fry that was still crisp, you know, versus, you know, another dish that may have been a little more cooked. So I think the more we can discover how we really respond to those foods and what we like and what we are kind of put off by, then we can manipulate, you know, how we prepare things. If you like a lot of fresh, fresh fruits, then you don't ever have to have a smoothie. You don't ever have to have applesauce, a cooked apple. You can live with, you know, fresh. But if you I just think it's important for us to be open and not just like you had said, be, I don't like this. That's it. I'm writing that off. This is a vegetable I don't like. My kids would often say, okay, mom, what number are we on? I know you said it takes 13 times. What number are we on? You know, it's, it's so cute because it takes, it takes exposure. That's adorable. I love that. And no, I, I think that that's such a good a approach, that curiosity, because children are naturally curious. So they want to explore. And whenever we present things to them in a non-threatening way, and we're not telling them we're going to force you to eat that, then it allows their curiosity to be open. And, you know, they're not fearful of it, which I think is, is really important. But I think it also acknowledges that we do have differences in our taste preferences. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't increase our palate. We can't broaden our palate, which is what some parents think, that these differences in our preferences means that some kid's just going to like five things. No, we can broaden our palate, but it's important to understand what are some of the things that we like, why we like them, what are some of the things that we don't like. But also, in addition to that, even the things that we don't like, we can learn to like. One of the stories I tell a lot is that I don't love sour and tart things, so I've never been a huge fan of just eating a bunch of fermented foods. But my son is Ethiopian, and that injera, you know, is really mm -hmm. sour, but yeah. I learned to love it, and now I crave it, which is crazy. Like, there's no way if I wouldn't have been deliberate about that, I probably would have always avoided it, and now I love it. So it is possible. You just have to be in the right mindset. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 
96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And I want to go back to how you started this, the answer to this question, because I love that you brought out these studies about how our body chemistry changes in response to our thoughts. So fascinating. And yes, I don't talk about this very much, but it's definitely out there. And it also applies just to United States in general, because believe it or not, the United States, we are ranked as one of the most health conscious countries in the world, believe it or not. Okay. So we have all these people running around claiming to be very health conscious, but what's the saddest thing about that is that we derive the least enjoyment from our food. And it's so important to enjoy our food and to have pleasure with our food because just like you were saying with those studies, when we're having an authentically pleasurable experience, it is changing our body chemistry and different things are happening. And I would say that the same thing goes with hunger. I think not enough of us are paying attention to being hungry before we eat because we're just eating all day long. And whenever we are aligning with that hunger, we're actually deriving more pleasure from our food. And I think that pleasure is giving us the feedback that, yes, feed me when I'm hungry because everything is open and absorbing what you need. Your body is aligned with being fed instead of being fed all day long until you go to sleep and as soon as you wake up and it's not in harmony, you know? So I love that we're talking about that because it's something that rarely gets talked about. We're talking more about regimens and eat this, eat that, not about how we can enjoy our food and be aligned with the chemistry of our body. And I think this is even more of an issue now with COVID because more people are at home. And so the kitchen's right there. So they can literally go in every five minutes and grab something, whether they're hungry or not. When you're at work, you have to find a vending machine or, I mean, it just, there's usually a little bit more steps involved, but now you can just, instead of heading out the door, which is, I think what we should have more people do, unless it's smoky and we've had those issues with air quality, but heading out the door for a little walk instead of into the kitchen for a mindless bite. I think that, you know, would be a great swap that we do and we that we value the ideas of eating, like you said, when we're hungry and when we do a little bit of that prep on the weekend or whichever day works best so that when you do open the fridge or the cabinet, the easiest options are also the healthiest, that you really make sure that you have something so that when you are hungry, because you're right, hunger is the, you know, the best seasoning to make people want to eat food, but you don't want to then just get something that's not the best for your body. Oh, but I'm just hungry. I'll eat anything. You want to make sure that 
you have those options available but and truly enjoy it take the three breaths before you take the first bite and just be thankful for the opportunity you have to eat that food and how wonderful it's going to taste and really like you said it is you can do mindful you know the intuitive eating is enjoying those bites. There's no guilt. There's just joy in it. And your body will respond and you won't eat as much because you'll know I'm here. I'm present. You're not going to be distracted and you're really enjoying that food. And then to couple that with the choices that we're talking about, it's a win-win all the way around because you are truly satisfying your body. And as much as my students say, oh, fast food is so, you know, tastes so good. When I ask them, eat it really slow. <laughs> they don't like it. Yeah. They, you know, when they jam it in and don't even think about it and half of it's eaten before they're through the drive through they don't have time to register that it's greasy and it's heavy and it doesn't really taste that great. It, they just kind of swallow it. But if they had to eat it morsel by morsel, like you'd eat a blueberry, just that fantastic flavor. And if they have to eat that fast food morsel by morsel, no, they're not going to do it. They don't yeah. enjoy it. And that's why I say authentic pleasure, because I think we're fooled into thinking that some of these hyper palatable foods is pleasure. But I think that's also a psychology thing because we've been taught that they're junk foods. And because of that, if we like them, we're bad. And then we have this weird attachment to them, but really they're not that delicious. So whenever we let go of that and neutralize food more, then when we go back and eat that food, because we're allowing ourselves to eat that food, suddenly we're like, actually, that's not that good. This thing, this happened to me with Halloween candy. You know, I had this strange thing with Halloween candy that I feel like I couldn't stop eating it until I said, you know what, I'm going to eat Halloween candy if I want to. And that quickly changed into I don't want to. <laughs> it's exactly. all like that stuff tastes bad. It tastes like plastic and cardboard and is not high quality. And I don't, and I have zero problem with Halloween candy. I mean, it could just be like pounds of it in front of me. And I'm like, no, thanks. Nope. I do not want that in my body. That is gold. So that was, I had an experience in one of my classes and I jumped around like a crazy woman after the student explained this because this was gold. So he had done the 21 day kickstart, which I offer for extra credit in my classes. And he was on day 22. And so now we're at like day 25, right? We're back in class. And so I said, how did everybody's weekend go? And I always ask for a WWW in my classes of what went well. So his what went well. So we start saying, well, you know, I was done with the 21 day kickstart and I was really craving ribs. And I thought, oh my gosh. And this is in front of everybody, right? In class. So I said, okay, so what'd you do? Well, I went to Logan's Steakhouse. Okay. Big chain here. And um, I ordered a full rack. I'm like, oh gosh. Okay, here we go. He said, so it smelled so good. I was so excited. He said, it came. The whole restaurant smelled great. Looked down at it. Couldn't do it. I said, what? He said, I, I just couldn't do it. I said, so what did you do? He said, well, I asked for a to-go container. I said, well, you know, I wasn't there. And he said, I know you weren't there. He said, no, I was on day 22. I was totally legal. Not only could I have it, I, it was, I paid for it. It was right in front of me. He said, but I couldn't do it. So I put it in a go-to-go go container. I said, okay. 
So then I fed it to my dog. I said, oh my gosh, seriously. He said, I'm done. I, I didn't want it. And I jumped around and I said, you guys, this is it. He went from I can't have it to I don't want it. So just like that experience with my husband and the cupcake, where he said, I can't have that. And his, my daughter said, no, you choose not to. When you can get to that point where you don't even want it. I am that way with all these animal foods now. I mean, I never dreamed. I used to eat all of it. And now it doesn't even, you know, I ask my students, what at the end of the semester, what are your NMFs? And they say, NMFs, not my food. What is just not your food anymore? I mean, there are things people eat that I just, I don't eat. I mean, I, and so your NMF is, is Halloween candy. And I jump right on that. I mean, it, the idea of, I remember eating it when I was younger, but it just, it doesn't do anything for me. It's just like, there's no return on investment when I eat those types of foods. So thinking about that and you don't have to preach it to everybody. I mean, we're in a unique situation where we're sharing, we're teaching, but for the average person out there, they just need to keep their eyes on their own plate and just take care of their own decisions. And so it, it doesn't really matter what anybody else, you know, if they don't like olives, then they don't need to eat olives. They, if they don't eat cow milk cheese, then they don't need to, to eat it. And it doesn't matter if their neighbor eats it or not. They can keep, you know, their own plate, those decisions on their own. But I think that's really, really key to move from a restriction to Again, it's empowering. I'm choosing not to for my own body. It just doesn't agree with me. And that seems to be a good way to help students and everybody talk to other people who may feel like they need to kind of be nosy, you know, and thinking, what are you doing? Are you eating enough protein? Are you? And just saying, you know, I've never felt better. So I'm just going to go with this, you know, kind of the Doug Lyle, not sure why it's working. It probably won't work for you, but I just feel better. And so I'm going to ride this wave for as long as, you know, it'll take me. And I think that really it comes back to that empowerment. It feels good. It's scary to be in a situation, a medical situation where you have to hand over control. And so for us to be able to regain that control um, of our health destiny, you know, in large part with our food choices, it's, it's the best. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's so important to be able to flip that around and not see it as restriction, but to see it as abundance and abundance of choice too. And also in some ways, the way I see it is just being a food snob. Like I just really want food that tastes good and feels good. I just won't settle anymore for feeling subpar if I don't have to. So, you know, a lot of people, we live in such a busy society. And whenever you say the words meal prep or meal plan or food prep, you just hear the grow and you're like, uh, take so much time. In your book, you talk about the importance of mindset when it comes to cooking and preparing food. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. I think that we do, we have this lost art of, you know, going back to our, like my, my grandparents. I mean, my Nona would spend hours in the kitchen and that was her service. That was her service that she felt to her family. And she took pride in that. And that was something that she, um, you know, did with her whole heart. And we have moved from that. And it doesn't really matter what, what ethnicity and what background, all of our societies have always 
brought family around nourishment. I mean, that's just no matter what. And so we've moved so far into this industrialized food is now something that you pick up in a box, in a package, and you put in the microwave or not, and you eat in the car or what. And it, it's we've just become so separate from it. And so for us to be able to come back to that idea that it doesn't need to be complicated when, you know, when this COVID started and people started freaking out, they go to the grocery store and they, you know, all of a sudden the shelves were sparse, you know, and thinking, oh my gosh. And then people started thinking, maybe we should grow some more of our own food. You know, how difficult is it? And we had already, we've, it's been a seven year project in our front yard. Everything's edible now. And that just coincided with all of this. But to be able to walk outside and pick four or five vegetables that then I can use, you know, this, the concept, it's not a hassle. It is a gift. I mean, to be able to feed yourself. And like you had said, the impacts are so far reaching. It's not just the meal. It's how you feel for your whole day, how you sleep, how you interact with your family. You know, when you're not feeling well and you're irritable, how easy is it, especially now with everybody at home, for the feeling of the house to just negative, just jump into negativity. You know, I mean, it just, it doesn't take very much. So when we can simplify things, a lot of people have said that this time away from work and back with our families has given people a pause. And I think it's really brought us back to what are the basics that we really need and how little do we need? I mean, when you think about it, so one of those things about giving our families and ourselves the gift of food, when we think about it just a little ahead of time, just thinking about our future self just a little bit, and we take the time to cook a bigger batch, right? And we're not talking about cooking, um, you know, elaborate food, but instead of making one cup of brown rice, make four cups of brown rice, and then you have it for the week. You know, it doesn't have to be something super complicated. When I think about breakfast, you know, I do my oatmeal and I can do one, um, one pot of oatmeal for a day, or I can do a four, you know, a quadruple batch and I have it for every day during the week. I wash one pot either way. You know I mean? It just, it's, it becomes, second nature, you know, where you just think, how can I take my efforts? I make a soup. I divide it into three containers to go in the freezer. I mean, that's it. It's just what I do. I don't want to burn everybody out on the same soup. So we don't have it every day for the week, but then I all of a sudden can open up my freezer and say, Oh, I have a black bean soup. I have a split pea soup. I have an enchilada soup. I have a tortilla soup. And it's and I think, oh, this is cool. I don't have to go to the supermarket. I got it. It's actually right here. I know exactly what went in. And it brings us again back to the choice. I, you know, there's fast food restaurants that say, have it your way, you know, without saying what fast food. No, you don't. You don't get it your way. You get what they, how they make it. When you make your own food, you get it exactly the way you want it. Exactly. If you like things spicier, if you like things, whatever it is, exactly the way that you like it. So it's it's not a burden. It becomes an opportunity to have exactly what you want. 
to be, like you said, picky, but also in a good way. Yeah, no, I love it. I love that message. And I think also a lot of people don't realize that it's a habit just like any other habit. So at the beginning, you probably didn't automatically know that it's going to be helpful to triple or quadruple things, but you learn that over time. And now you know that it saves you time, it saves you energy, and it gives you choice for the future to batch cook and to prep ahead of time and put a little bit of effort. I talk to my coaching clients about how at the beginning, it does seem like it takes a lot of mental energy because you've never done it this way before. You're doing something new, but it's not going to feel like that forever. In fact, I have some clients that they progress so rapidly that it makes my head spin. Within a couple of weeks, they're meal planning and prepping and, and they've got it. You know, you just have to throw yourself in there, give it a try, and also find a system that works for you because it works a little differently for every family, depending on your lifestyle and, and, you know, how things are set up in your household. What are some tips that you can give us for making food prep fun? I think one great one is to turn on some music, you know, so you can think about that. Like when you clean the house, if you know, you turn on music and you make it fun. So set it up so that you are enjoying the environment for me, because I am a crazy learner. I like to put in podcasts. So if it's just me in the kitchen and I'm not, the kids aren't involved, then I'll put in a podcast and I, it's joy. I mean, it's time that I can be productive because I'm chopping and doing those things, but it's also time that I can learn. And I, just the idea of chopping, you know, if you have a knife that's comfortable in your hands and that's, you know, something that's important. If you think about all the different tools, the knife is going to be one of the very most important, not that they have to be expensive. Our family's favorite knife is a one that we got at Ikea for $9 and 99 cents. I mean, it doesn't, and I bought it because I wanted to see for my students, if it would be a good knife, it turned out to be one of my family's favorites, the favorite knife. But thinking about that, that you're taking care of your future self. So when you're doing this, picture that you're making, you know, you're creating, you're putting love and energy into the food that you're going to be able to enjoy when you're in the middle of work and you're rushing into the kitchen because you're hungry and, oh, someone took care of me and made this wonderful food just for me. Um, so I think that is one of the the benefits. Another is just the fact that we, we know where our food has been. I mean, when you are getting something in a package, you're not sure exactly what happened between, you know, the, when it was grown and how it arrived to you. But when we have our hands, when we just see this is a, you know, a big bunch of organic carrots, and now we made something with it, we made a dip or what have you. It's like, okay, I, I was, you know, materially involved in that process. So it, again, when, and when we go out, we rarely, rarely go out to, to dinner for any meals. I go out very infrequently. And even before all of this with the, the virus stuff, but my kids say, oh yeah, I know what you're going to say, mom. You could have made it at home for cheaper. You would have liked the taste better and you would have felt better afterwards. You know, and it's that idea where, if we can actually give ourselves these foods as a gift, then the meal prepping is more of just, I mean, it's almost like the warm up. 
I just, I don't see it as I see it. My kitchen is my happy place. And so when I go in there, I just feel like this is playing. This is just fun. And I, does it really matter exactly how you cut everything? No, just play, just enjoy, just enjoy feeling the food. Yeah. And experimenting, be open to experimentation and trying new things. I think so many people are just afraid to mess stuff up. And that's why I love your approach because it leaves it open to experimentation and there's no wrong. You know, I think sometimes people feel like a recipe that they follow has to be like black and white, like they either follow it perfectly or they don't do it at all. But your approach makes it more open so that people can kind of play around with experimentation. So I definitely love the idea of the music and the podcast. I'm into that. But I would also say get comfy because Mm -hmm. I like coming home, make sure I put on some comfy shoes, feel like, you know, I'm, I'm relaxed. I'm ready to get in the kitchen. And then the other thing that's really helped me is to enlist help. So I love cooking, but there's two problems with it. I'm a messy cook. I use like every single appliance, utensil, everything. And I hate doing the dishes. So now I have my kids trained. They do the dishes every night. My husband sometimes helps, but I can be relaxed. I can enjoy. And I know that I'm not going to be cooking this meal, eating, and then having to go back and wash everything. I enlisted help. So don't be afraid to enlist your help from your kids and your family members, because that's going to make it a lot more pleasurable when you know that you have help your way. Definitely. And in the book, I specifically have a little paragraph that says, you know, to grandparents and parents, this foodie bar way is an opportunity to build autonomy with the kids and independence and teamwork, because depending on their age, they can work on a certain item together or on their own. And then everybody brings what they've done together and sets out the big foodie bar. And so that concept of we're all contributing and we're playing our own part in this is, is important. And my kids are now 14 and 17. And so they have skills. They know how to get in the kitchen and take care of themselves. And their friends don't. I mean, they, they just don't have, you know, have those skills. So it's another empowerment. Thank you so much for teaching them that. I, I really, and I tell my kids all the time. In fact, my oldest one, he's 15 and he loves getting in the kitchen and helping me. And I see it as a gift to his future and his future partner, whoever spends time with in the future, because otherwise a lot of these skills are going to be lost or they'll have to relearn them later at a much later time. So the more that we can teach our children now, that's going to set them up for good habits, but it's also going to ripple effect to the other people that they meet in their life in the future. So that's really important. All right. So a Couple of personal questions. I want okay. to know what is your ultimate favorite meal? Oh gosh, ultimate favorite meal that I cook or that I would eat out? Either one or both. Okay. Um, eat out place, if I had to choose one, there is Millennium in Oakland, which is a vegan restaurant that's just crazy. So I went there on my 40th birthday and it was, it was incredible just because I appreciated every, you know, every item had like four or five different sauces. I mean, it was just over the top. So that was incredible at home. I love 
so many different foods. It, that is it's a difficult question to answer. Um, I love pesto and I, we are growing basil like crazy. And so something that pops into my mind is I made one of the pestos in my book this weekend and I froze it in ice cube trays. So now I have those in a bag, you know, the little ice cubes. And so I've been doing a lot of zucchini noodles lately, the zoodles where I just, you know, turn the zucchini obviously into with a spiralizer into noodles. And I found that if you don't cook them, they stay wonderfully crisp and you just add a sauce to them. So adding a pesto with some roasted cauliflower and some fresh cherry tomatoes from the garden, that's just amazing. You know, where you're just eating it and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is really, really good. Lately, I've been doing a lot of that in, you know, just different combinations of foods. And I've absolutely loved them. Something that I wanted to just touch on that you had mentioned was that idea of having the freedom and flexibility to play and experiment in the kitchen. And I know that this must be working in my family because this concept, my son and my daughter make things all the time and they hardly ever use a recipe. They just get in there and say, what do we have? Oh, let's put this and this. And that is something that is so fun to watch. Because like you said, sometimes you end up afterwards going, well, I think I'll change that a little bit or what have you. But just to have the freedom to feel like, oh, no, I don't have exactly what this recipe called for, but that's okay. Why don't we have some parsley in the front yard? It called for cilantro, but let's change that up. So that idea where they have full confidence that they can just go in there and figure out something, you know, to eat. So yeah, I would say right now, pesto with zoodles is just so good, but it's not fair to ask. There's so many foods out there because we were talking about Brussels sprouts before. That's crazy. My acai bowl, that's crazy. So (laughs) no, I have the same problem you do. It's hard. I know we're both foodies and we both like those whole natural foods. So it's just hard to pick. Um, But no, that, that word confidence in the kitchen, that's so important. And I'm like that too, because I don't like pulling out recipes. I, one of my favorite things to do is just to be really resourceful in the kitchen, open the fridge, open the pantry. What do I have? Okay. I'm just going to make something up. And <laughs> it's my, yeah. my older son, something that he asked me all the time is like, mommy, did you use a recipe or did you just make this one up? Because he always wants to know if I'm going to be able to reproduce it or not. <laughs> but exactly. no, it, it's super fun. But that confidence can only be built through experience, which mm-hmm. means you got to get in there. You got to roll up your sleeves and you got to play. You're not going to get confident unless you keep trying and you keep practicing and you try new things and, you know, you take a few risks. That's how you learn. What do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that they have an incredible amount of power over their quality of life with their fork and spoon and knife. I, we just, we don't do enough of a connection between what we're eating and how we're ultimately feeling. We do this, like you said, this intermediate buffering, you know, where, okay, just stick something in my mouth, you know, just, this is a quick fix. And, you know, we just play with that. You know, we, we just, it doesn't, um, people just don't 
realize that the decisions they make over and over and over again, not only does it impact your DNA and your microbiome and all the rest of it, but it impacts your quality of life and mental clarity. So I wish people knew that. I love it. Me too. I agree. (laughs) What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? This was an interesting one because I've obviously listened to many of your podcast episodes, which I absolutely love. So I knew this question was coming. And one thing that I do is I'm a consistent exerciser beyond, again, it's not a have to. So I've been able to turn exercise and I talk about it in my classes and with my Thrive on Plants group as joyful movement. And I know you had also used the same term in your book that the exercise is something that I don't, it's another gift I give to myself. So it isn't something like, Oh, I have to exercise. And I listen to my body. Some days I'm running. Some days I'm wearing a weighted vest and walking quickly. You know, I just, but I've been able to with this COVID, I was so happy because I went, I used to go to the gym and I lift weights twice or three times a week. And I loved that. And I felt really good with that along with my cardio. And so then when they closed, I thought, oh my gosh, am I just going to, you know, all these years of working on this now, is it just going to go to the wayside? But we're like ever, almost every other family. We have dumbbells somewhere in your house. You got that great idea to buy dumbbells. They're not being used as, you know, what they're supposed to be intended for. And I thought, you know, I am going to use them. I'm just going to, I'm not going to question. I'm just going to use them to the way I would use them at the gym. And I was able to continue and I'm doing my three times a week. And for a very short period, the gyms opened again. And I went back and I thought, oh, am I going to be kind of weak, you know, because I haven't been doing, I jumped right back in. And I thought what I'm doing at home, even though it's not exactly what I was doing there, that consistency is what's paying off. I'm letting the calendar do the work. I'm just showing up and doing it. And I'm not, again, not questioning it. This is a gift that I'm giving my body today and in the future. And as the time goes on, yeah, I'm staying strong. I'm able to do this. I'm not gaining 25 pounds because I'm at home. I'm not letting my exercise go by the wayside. I'm figuring out, I mean, we, I dusted off a Nordic track that we've had for 25 years that we, my kids are like, mom, you don't use this, throw this away, throw this away. I'm like, no, someday. And of course, when the fires came, and I couldn't go outside. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I get on that sucker. I'm like, wow, I still, I mean, this is working. And then the other thing that I have to couple this with, and I don't know how much you've been listening or reading about this, but is the breathing. So I have been able to consistently now with during all my cardio breathe through my nose only. And that is huge. So I've been listening to a lot of podcast interviews and reading books about the power of breathing through your nose. And I never appreciated how amazing this little organ is. You know, we just assume breathing through our mouth is just as good as breathing through your nose, especially if you have a stuffed up nose that it's not even, your nose isn't even helpful, right? But this has made a huge impact on my cardio and I just feel calm. Like, I think that's part of why 
I can enjoy my exercise because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you know, you like running. So a lot of us don't like running, you know, and they kind of other like soccer moms kind of get a little. Eh. And so I said, no, 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 I do. I mean, I actually love the idea. I don't have to race. I mean, I've done mar- a marath- two marathons and half marathons and all that, but I don't do it for that. I do it for the pure joy of being grateful for my body, being able to do that and go out. And now with this only breathing through my nose, and it slows you down at the beginning, for sure. I mean, if you're used to breathing through your mouth, but I have such a calm experience as I'm running down the street. I can look around, I can appreciate what's happening. And and I'm exercising, but I don't feel that like, oh, this is so hard, <laughs> you know, and when you're breathing through your mouth, you're not even getting the oxygen transfer. You're getting 20% less oxygen into your lower lungs when you're breathing through your mouth compared to your nose, which seems completely counterintuitive, but I have experienced great greatness. And now I'm actually sleeping with my mouth little with a little tape on it, which sounds kind of weird, but oh my gosh, I am sleeping better. So that's, and I had to put that in there because that's my newest thing. I'm so excited about it. Wow. That's fascinating and very interesting. And I've been seeing this mouth taping coming up a lot recently. So you're probably the third or fourth person I've heard talking about it, but I haven't really heard people talking about exclusively breathing through their nose during exercise. So I'll have to look more into that and try it out a bit. I definitely, cause I love heavy cardio. Like I yeah. like getting to the point where I know I'm going to get that endorphin rush, you know? So I'm just like killing myself on cardio, but I have to see, I have to listen to what you listen to and read more about it and see if yes, it works. I'll send you, I'll send you some resources. Send me because, some links. Yeah. They're fantastic. All right, Tim Marie, this has been great. So please tell us where we can connect with you and what products and services you offer. So my one hub is the nutritionprofessor.com. And that is where I write, I write articles, put, this is 10 years I've been doing that, um, doing articles as well as I had my own podcast for a little while. It's on a little hiatus for me. Um, I do lots of TV work. So I have a lot of videos, me shopping at farmer's market and then going into the kitchen and then making something with that item. And I have nearly 50 of those on my website. I have um, some other TV work that I've done, other podcast interviews. And then my book is linked from there and it's foodiebars.com. But when you go to my website, you'll see the book with all the hearts. um, And it's It is so fun because wherever you are coming from, whether it's a chef that has been working in the field for a long time or someone who's brand new to cooking, it just gives options. So every foodie bar, and a lot of people think it means like granola bar, energy bar. No, no. It's like taco bar, salad bar, lots of options. And we've talked about that throughout this podcast. But each of those bars, like a pasta bar, a loaded potato bar, would have a basic bar for where to start with. That's super easy. Not a, You don't have to worry about cooking skills, time, no money, no time, no experience. 
you go, go from the raising or the um, basic bar and then raising the bar is starting to play a little bit more, like you said, experimentation. So instead of maybe buying a can of chili beans, you make my seasoned black beans or um, my garlic mushrooms or something like that to load onto your pasta or your baked potato. And then it gives you a recipe. So a lot of people want to see pictures. And so there's a picture for every recipe. So that is all accessible through foodiebars.com. And the other thing I put on foodie bars is in the book, I don't reference any brand names because as soon as you put that out there, then they're not going to carry, you know, you're not going to find them. So on my website, I have a shopping guide. So when you click on the foodiebars.com, there's a little shopping guide link and then you can type in any ingredient that I use in the book and then I show you a picture. So if you're out and you say, well, I don't know what, you know, lavash looks like and you click, you know, you go to that and you can show the person, do you have something like this? You know, an employee at a store. So my students have found that incredibly and clients have found that incredibly helpful. Um, so those are the places to find me for sure. The nutritionprofessor.com and foodiebars.com. Super cool. Looks like you have lots of resources for people that want to explore, but I highly recommend this book, especially if you have kids. I think this is such a wonderful approach for feeding a family. I have moms that tell me that they're in the kitchen for hours because they're making a separate meal for everybody. There's no need to do that. It's counterproductive. So try this method instead and see how it works for you. All right, Timory, last thing that I want from you today is to leave us with a call to action. So what is one thing that we can do starting today to improve our health? The one thing that I think we need to do is connect with someone who also wants to improve their food choices. Because there are so many tips and I've, like I said, I've listened to many of your podcasts and there's so many ideas about including more vegetables, including more beans, you know, all of those are fantastic. And I, I love all of them. And so I don't, I really want people to change, you know, they, they say that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So if you start to connect with people who have a common vision of this idea of, our food choices matter. So every little food choice does matter. And that if we can upgrade them all by a little bit, then it's going to end up being, you know, a huge benefit. But if we can change our normal so that it is normal, like, so what are you having for a snack? Oh, I found this fantastic recipe for hummus. It was so delicious. And for the first time I used raw broccoli to to dip in there. And I couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, if that's the conversation you're having with a new friend that you've made, you know, through social media or what have you, or in your neighborhood, then that is going to feel different than if you talk to someone that, you know, what'd you have? Oh gosh, I went out and got a pizza. I actually feel like I'm, I'm not feeling well right now, but it sounded really good. So I don't know. I think I've got some ice cream in the, you know, freezer. So I don't know. I'm just adding insult to injury. I mean, it just, 
you know, so to be able to connect and there's so many meetup groups, there's so many, you know, resources online. I mean, even just going into YouTube and seeing, you know, Chef AJ has now every single day, she's on at least once on, and and then just to start, the world will just open up. And when you had mentioned how this is not about restriction, this is about just abundance that I feel that same way about support. So I feel like you can feel like this is putting you, you know, in a little room by yourself. This is the person who, you know, doesn't eat this or doesn't eat that. But when you actually open it up and start to reach out, you find the whole world opens up. Dr. Philip or Philip Wallen, he's not a doctor, um, is a phenomenal philanthropist. And he talked in one of his speeches to the parliament, he talked about 600 million veg people in the world. That is a lot of people, but we're just spread out. So people just don't, you know, you feel like you're alone. Sometimes you are so not alone, so not alone. And that someone near you, they're just friends you haven't met yet. And I don't know about you, but every single veg fest that I've ever been to, every single meetup group that I've ever been to that's surround that's around plant-based whole food, nothing but nice people. I mean, really, like it just, it's such a different vibe. It's such a giving vibe. So I think the more you connect with people that have this interest, even if you're both plant curious. I mean, I, that's a great place to start is just be plant curious. But the more you start to click into this, the more it's like, yeah, this can be my new normal. This can be my new normal. Yes. And I love how you said to normalize health and well-being, normalize healthy food prep, normalize spending a few hours on the weekend making meals for the week. If you hang around with people like that, it's not going to seem so weird. It's not going to seem like you're different than everybody else. That social aspect is so powerful. It's so important. And I agree, people are there because when I started almost 10 years ago, over nine years ago now, I didn't know anybody. And then I met one vegan and then I decided to start a group who now has like over 400 members here in Yakima. (laughs) So, but even if you don't have somebody in your local area, social media is so powerful. There's groups online. So it's out there. You just have to look and start connecting with these people and you're going to see how it's going to boost your motivation because you're going to feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself and you're not the only one. So I love that call to action. Thank you so much for that. Did you see in my book, the little cook together icon? Yes. So in many of my recipes and bars, I have this little cook together icon because secretly this is what I want the world. This is what I want my students to do. Instead of go out to fast food on a Friday night, I want them to have a cook together. And now we can do it virtually. I want them to have a hummus showdown so that They have three friends and they all season them differently, the different hummus, and they all find, you know, they all vote on the best one. I want people to come together. And if food prep is something that is a struggle for you, invite a friend over, double everything and then split it, you know, and then take home half the soup and take home half, make it fun. Because when we spend time with people that we enjoy, you can just about do anything and enjoy it. 
You know what I mean? If, cause you're finding time with people that you love. And so it doesn't matter if you're chopping vegetables versus if you're at Starbucks. No, you can be chopping vegetables and talking with your friend and catching up or doing this via FaceTime. Put them up there while you're chopping, you're connecting. I do that with my sister sometimes. We'll just be in, you know, the earbuds and talking to each other, whether we're walking or chopping and we're connecting with each other. So I think it's just a different perspective. I love, you can just feel it in your heart and in your voice, how much joy you have in this. And this is, this radiates Uh, what we do in our lives. Not only does it impact our family and our own kids, but it impacts everyone around us. Positivity is so contagious. And when we link positivity with what you had said, well-being and making those choices, then people can finally feel the way that they would never have dreamed of. People don't realize how good they could feel. Wow. Oh my goodness. I love it. Definitely radiate joy, be together and connection, which is one of the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. We know how important that is for living a long, healthy life. So incorporate it, incorporate it into your food prep plan. I do. I, I make phone calls while I food prep too, uh, with my mom and my mother-in-law, but I like the idea of FaceTiming a friend and maybe food prepping together. So I have a friend, one of my friends who's been on this podcast, she's a nurse practitioner, and she is a highly dedicated weekend food prepper. She posts everything on social media that she made for the week. So I'm going to connect with her and see if we could do some food prepping together and see how it goes. There you go. Well, Timarie, this has been so awesome. You have so many wonderful ideas and so much experience and so much wisdom and knowledge to share. So I am so grateful for you, for everything that you do. And thank you so much for being on Veggie Doctor Radio today. Thank you. It has been an honor and a pleasure. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Absolutely. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.